report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He lays a Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're also joined by Pete from Rebels Report, who I believe uh, you reviewed uh, Spark of Rebellion with us way back when this all started, right? Uh, way back in the time machine, I think we did, yeah. Yeah, we were, we were all at the, uh, the first screening together at, uh, at Comic-Con. Oh yeah, you guys were. Well, yeah, you were. We weren't. Uh, yeah, I. I, we were I was, oh no, I, 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 I thought you were there, Stephen. I, no, anyway. see, I, <laughs> I guess I you're right. So it was just Pete and me. Yeah, the two of us. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Pete and I watched it together. Yeah, um, I, I just, I just could not justify jumping in the car and going down there. Yeah. Although I'm now yeah. kicking myself for not. Well, but I know. Well, Tom, never fear, because you know, in two weeks, we're all going to be watching Rebels together, all four that, of us. In a giant theater with thousands of our closest friends. So looking forward <laughs> to that. So, it's so, so, so hard to believe. We, it's two weeks from tomorrow, we will be, as we're recording this, we'll be landing in Anaheim for Star Wars well, Celebration. Burbank. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter half a dozen one or another. Yeah. I mean, in LA, from where the airport is, it could take us three hours to get down there by traffic. Trust me. Yeah. Yep. But yes. yeah, we are just but two weeks this away. This week. This week, though, I thought, or I shouldn't say I thought, we thought it would be a good idea to kind of look back at all of season one of Rebels uh, just before we go into season two, talk about the high points, the low points, what we liked, what we didn't, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But first, a couple of announcements. Tom, if you will please take those. Yes, I will. Um, Two things kind of snuck out in the mobile gaming department uh, within the past two weeks. The first one was Star Wars Rebels Recon Mission. And then the second mobile game that was released is a new table from Zen Pinball. If anybody likes to play the pinball on your phone and stuff, they released a Star Wars Rebels table. So check your local app store for the availability. Uh, but they just, there was no announcements. They just snuck out. Um, and one of them on a, on a gaming website, the Star Wars Rebels Recon Mission, actually got some really high scores. So if you want to check your local uh, app store and see if they're available. Um, and then naturally, within two weeks, there is a bunch of news coming out of Star Wars Celebration. So check the internet for all that stuff because there's so much that we can't even list them here. We'll probably be here for about three hours with the stuff that's by way of the exclusives, the panels, who's going to be at the first major panel, which I think it's a gentleman called J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy is going to kick everything off. Who are they? Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure that no, out. No one important. No, no, no. Nobody <laughs> important. But if I do remember, a quote that I have heard is, it will be a day long remembered. Yeah, and the rumors that I saw today flying around were they're going to be simulcasting it in different countries. So, Oh, I saw that as well, actually. That's going to that be interesting. A, I want to say that'd be a first, but uh, it should be exciting. Yes, it will. And then also, what came out today was the daytime Emmys were announced. And believe it or not, Lucasfilm Animation was nominated for, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight categories. Outstanding Special Class Animated Program, Performer in an Animated Program, 
writing for an animated program, directing in an animated program, along with sound mixing, sound editing, and music direction and composition for Star Wars The Clone Wars. The award ceremony is going to be on April 26th. It's going to be televised live 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Pop Channel. Never heard of that channel before. A what channel? Pop Channel is what I was able to get from this. Yeah. But it's cool that the Clone Wars is still getting nominated for awards, even though it's been it, a while. I want to say it's been over a year years, now, right? Two years yeah. since it last aired on TV, a year ago since it landed on uh, aired on Netflix. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just, just, yeah, that's just crazy to me. Like the sh- the show's kind of done now. Like it almost hurts that they keeps winning awards or even being nominated when they took it away from us so soon. Yeah. Well, who knows? When it comes to the next uh, Daytime Emmy Awards, maybe Rebels will get in that category now. I think what will be interesting is who is the performer. Because all it just says is performer in an animated series. I wonder who the voice actor is who got nominated for that. Yeah. We will. Oh, we'll have to wait and find out. Yep. And I guess with with that, we've got an episode rundown. So, William, would you like to take this part? Well, yeah. I mean, in this this episode, we're actually talking about all of season one. So uh, if you've been following along with us over the last... Oh, what, six, eight months? Um, you know, we've been covering each episode one by one, so we're not going to get into the, you know, the writers and directors for every episode, but uh, we're actually going to start with uh, the beginning of the series and just kind of work our way through it and talk about uh, what we liked, what we didn't like, some of the overall themes, all that fun stuff. So uh, to kick things off, we're going to start with uh, the four... Uh, Star Wars Rebels shorts that aired on TV before um, before the series began. These these aired uh, August 11th through um, through September 1st, and uh, and they were titled "The Machine and the Ghost," "Art Attack," "Entanglement," and "Property of Ezra Bridger." Uh, and uh, just to kind of refresh everyone's memories, in in "The Machine and the Ghost," um, you know this 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 episode uh, featured the first appearance of Kanan and Hera and the chopper and ghost. And um, they're being you know, shot uh, at by, uh, by TIE fighters uh, and really kind of added that classic feel. Then we got in, we were introduced to Sabine in art attack and um, you know, she's basically blowing up an Imperial airfield in entanglement. Um, we, we meet Zeb and, and see Lothal for the first time as he's kind of, taken out these uh, the stormtroopers and in property of Ezra Bridger we get actually get to meet Ezra for the first time and um, you know, he's he's checking out a, a tie fighter crash site um, oh that's right I now remember that one yeah so what so what do you guys think about this and, and the way they used these shorts to kick off the series did you do you like it do you uh, you know do you do you think it was a good way to start kick things off a bad way? Can I go first? I'll make it really quick. Until you started mentioning the synopsis, I forgot all about them. As crazy as that sounds, I mean, at the time when they came out, they were probably great. They they were a little great introduction, but I think in the in the the pre-show we were talking about, I thought that these were part of the actual episodes because I do remember. I think it's the Sabine one in which they're in the kitchen with Ezra or something, but. I'm, it appears I'm wrong with that, but 
I really, other than you mentioning the one with Ezra and the TIE Fighter, that's right now the only one I remember out of all three of those shorts. Well, if it helps, I don't remember any of them, but I also <laughs> never watched them. Uh, as wah, I'm kind of, you know, I remember, like, I mean, speaking to the format, like, I remember having them and, like, okay, I need to sit down and watch these one of these days. And I just, I never got around to doing it. And I, like, it just, I don't know. It didn't seem like the best way for me to kick off the series in some respects. Like, I wanted, like, coming from the Clone Wars especially, I wanted something with meat. And I, mm-hmm. as good as I'm sure these were, you know, they were only, what, a couple minutes long for each of them? It's just, yeah. it's yeah. more of a taste than anything else. They felt more like trailers. And I, it was like, you know, do I really need to watch a trailer? Or can I just wait till the real thing comes out? I, I guess I might be the dissenting opinion. Um, I watched, I'll say I watched these probably an unhealthy amount of times. <laughs> um, try, trying to prepare coverage for our, for our website and podcast. And um, I, I really liked what they were doing. It's, it's kind of an interesting approach because they weren't giving you a lot of backstory in these, but the four shorts they gave you were really focusing on the personalities of the characters involved. So it gives you a little bit of detail going into the series that they don't have to spend as much time in the first episode establishing who these people are. Um, so, so I liked that going into it. Um, and I will say that there was elements of all of them that I enjoyed, but I think overall, I think I liked the entanglement one with Zeb the most just because Zeb has got a very fun uh, personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I liked them as well. Part of me uh, didn't, really notice I, I i mean part of me thought at first that they were just clips but you know once the actual episodes aired i'm like oh wait where where were those scenes i, I realized that they were kind of their own standalone episodes in many ways these little shorts and in fact the um you know officially they they have their own production numbers you know they're part of the uh they're part of season one so they're they basically are season one episodes one a through d basically um which is very interesting yeah it and this is something i know we talked about a lot uh as the episodes were coming out for the entire season but the numbering sequence always felt just kind of weird for rebels so we had spark of rebellion which was the movie but also kind of the first two episodes but also kind Mm -hmm. of its own episode you had the shorts which were you know their own little uh numbered in production and Made it kind of confusing in some respects, at least when we were trying to name like what episode is which. But yeah, and it was it seemed weird to me because we we had some hints based on stuff from behind the scene videos that there were going to be sixteen episodes, and then we had some comments and interviews from people like I think uh, Simon Kinberg that was talking about sixteen episodes. Mm-hmm. But then once the season started, they would never confirm the number of episodes, how many was this. And I think that was probably they were trying to head off people freaking out about there only being like 13 regular episodes of the series because they were very coy about, you know, how many episodes there was going to be coming through. Right. And yeah. and if you factor in these little shorts, you know, then you do get, um, you know, plus the plus the, the movie, the two of the movie, yeah, the, the, the two movie. episodes that comprise the movie, then you get, you know, what, 19 episodes. Um, yeah. But, well, actually, so maybe that's a good a good jumping off point for talking about the rest of the series but rebels uh you know when you think back to how the clone wars worked they were working almost two to three seasons ahead on the clone wars Mm -hmm. in terms of stories or animation uh so they could often tease things really far ahead because they already knew what was coming 
But with Rebels, they got the show up and running from nothing to, you know, out on TV, I want to say within a year, maybe a year and a half tops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys feel like that affected the quality of the show or did they kind of overcome despite the short time frame? I think they did a fantastic job in, in the short time frame. Um, I have to agree. I mean, with any show, you're going to start out building assets slowly. You know, we, we saw this with the Clone Wars where it's a different art style, so they couldn't just reuse assets from the Clone Wars in most cases. They had to completely rebuild them. So you, it'll be a smaller setting with fewer characters. But as we saw, you know, as the season progresses, um, more characters, more assets are brought in, and they're able to reuse those and kind of build up their world. Um, so, I mean, I think it's... I think they did a, they did a great job, and season two will just be even more awesome. See, I, I, I have a feeling that's probably why they brought in Greg Weissman to help them at least get this one kicked off, because he's had experience with like a quick, from what I've seen in his past, he's had experience with like a, a quick ramp up of a series, and now that he was able to kick it off, you know, sadly he's moved on to something else. But Henry Gilroy's come in, who's also you know a veteran of a. a kind of a schedule like this so i don't think that has hurt it at all i mean you could tell when it started it was a little bit rocky but when it got going i think it hit it hit cylinders better in the first season than the clone wars did yeah that was kind of how i thought was thinking about it as well Is it was there were definitely some rough points in that first Mm -hmm. season uh i'm sure we'll talk about some of them briefly as well but i think the big thing is, overall, they, they nailed the tone a lot better than the Clone Wars did. Uh, the character characterization, all those things came together a lot more smoothly than we ever saw in the Clone Wars. Yes. I think the result was, even though we had you know some of those rough edges or episodes that didn't quite feel like they worked, overall, like it worked a lot better than I think we had any right to expect. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, it seemed like when it comes to the episodes, there really wasn't the... There wasn't the painful episode we can point to definitely in the first season of the clone wars um George R. Banks. so <laughs> you really didn't have that in here it's agreed that some of them were slow some of them had their issues but they weren't painful to watch like George R. Banks episode so yeah and I, I i tend to agree with what you guys are saying um but i'm not sure if the comparison's entirely fair oh i completely uh, agree i completely agree just because there's there's a much tighter narrative focus in Rebels than we ever got in the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so it's it there's a lot more jumping around. There's not the focus on the core group of characters like we're getting now. Um, but I will say that I think the series got off on a better foot than the Clone Wars did, um, because the way the Clone Wars rolled out with a theatrical release of the movie, which many fans didn't react positively to. No, that's it, correct. It, yeah. it set up a rather rocky relationship for fans of that series as it started out. Mm-hmm. Whereas the premiere of this series got, I feel overall, much warmer reception. Yeah, I, I feel like we might have seen a better reception to the opening of the Clone Wars if it had been presented in the same way. So Clone Wars was announced as a TV series, and then, oh, and we're going to turn the first three episodes into like a feature-length movie. And then it released in theaters, and you were kind of expecting that sort of, you know, Hollywood movie quality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe we're not talking about like, you know, Pixar, but we expected there were certain expectations that when you go to a movie theater, what that should look like. Right. And with Rebels, uh, they still want did the, you know, TV movie kickoff, but it was a TV movie this time with, you know, a different set of expectations. We 
we were more informed as to what we should be looking for. We had the shorts to kind of inform us about what the, the basics as we were talking about, what the show would look like, some of the kind of overall themes. I think it made for a really good launching point. True. And, and they also had, what, six years of experience at that point yes. right. that they, they were able to build on top of. Um, whereas, you know, the Clone Wars movie was really the, their first stab at animation. Um, this is six years of studying and, you know, the Dave Filoni studying at the foot of George Lucas and, you know, working on this uh, 24-7 and, and that sort of thing. And so they were able to construct a, a better film, too, based on the, uh, the focus of the, of the show and, um, and just their, the experience they had. And I'm not sure, Tom, maybe they'll speak to this. Or you guys may know more about this than I do, but it seems like with the launch of the show, with the Clone Wars, they were relying heavily on overseas outsourced animation. Um, and while well, they use some of that in this series, too, they also do have their own in-house Singapore animation studio now that they can probably crank out more animation than they could and aren't waiting as long for the stuff coming from the third parties as they were relying on when the Clone Wars started. Exactly. Yeah, what? I think right. one of the things I imagine that helped with that is Clone Wars was essentially trying to develop its own animation style almost from the very beginning. It, it wasn't really based off of anything. It was just like, hey, this, this looks good. Let's go with that. Right. Um, and they had the time to do that sort of artistic exploration. And here I think they, they kind of were able to jumpstart that a little bit by using a lot of the Macquarie art. Um, it gave them a, a base point to kind of iterate off of and like, you know, it let them really get moving, like we were talking about, like faster, because they didn't have to go through quite as much concept work. You know, oh, the concept work is the classic Macquarie art. Mm-hmm. There's no and, extras needed. And, and we also, as, as we brought up at the start of this, they started out with basically a small crew. They didn't start out with a huge cast of a bunch of clones with a bunch of characters where you knew you had to have Obi-Wan, you knew you had to have Anakin, you knew you had to have you know the jedi masters in there with clones this was like okay we're basically starting from scratch we're going to focus on just these five people and and a droid and that's it and we can start this small and then like i think steven you said and from that point william start growing from that point and adding more to it so the ramp up for this was a lot easier from the look and and also we knew when it came to the clone wars it started very rocky that whole first season, but as we saw it through the six seasons, it got stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned before, this one within the first season hit its stride. You know, it's not there like the last of the Clone Wars, but it's definitely further ahead than, let's say, I would say the second season of the Clone Wars. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. I, I think, honestly, like the beginning of this season was fantastic. Uh, I think they did a really, really good job, and they only had. You know, a limited number of episodes. So I feel like they were able to really focus the story a bit more. There was less filler. There was, um, you know, a, a great production style. I think uh, visually, uh, musically, um, you know, start from the storytelling perspective. And so I think they did a a really great job uh, overall. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, Spark of Rebellion. Uh, this this episode aired a, a number of times. Um, it started, well, it was released uh, on September 26th uh, on demand, and, and then it aired a week later on Disney XD. And then, you know, we got a DVD release, what, a week or two later. Mm-hmm. And then the special edition re-release with the Darth Vader scene, the, the prologue on ABC, uh, at, I don't know, what, October 26th. 
So what you're saying is this really was a classic Star Wars movie in every respect, with multiple <laughs> re-releases and special editions and recuts and so thoughts, least, thoughts on this release this release strategy. Well, I was going to say one thing. At least when it came to the special edition, you didn't see a Jabba the Hutt and this Han Solo digitally kind of walk over a tail. So at least we got a nice special edition of just a tag at the end, and that was it. Yeah, I. Yeah, I know. Sorry. No, I was going to say, the Darth Vader re-release kind of annoyed me a little bit um, because it it felt really transparent. Like, they were obviously just trying to get views on, uh, because that was only on ABC, I believe. Right. And it it definitely felt like, oh, they're they're trying to get views for the main show before it kicks off. Mm. And I mean, that's it's an understandable desire and strategy, but I kind of wish that had been included from the very beginning. Mm. And I... I'm wondering what you guys think about that overall because I was listening to an interview with uh, Greg Wiseman uh, today and he was talking about how that wasn't in the the show when he was working on the show. Um, It was added after he'd already left working on the series and that he didn't really like it as much because it took away the surprise of Vader's appearance in the season finale. And I got to say, I think looking back, I kind of agree with them. It would be kind of interesting just to not see anything about Vader until that very last moment of season um, one. But wouldn't you also agree? I, I know that when we originally saw episode four on the screen and there was no episode three before that, just the Darth Vader coming on screen in that presence in, in my day was like, wow, this is so cool. But it's almost like at the end of episode three now where you see Darth Vader being created, that impact in episode four now, it's kind of – it's still there, but it's lessened because there's something now before it. And I think this is kind of the same thing. It's like I, I agree. It's like maybe this should not have been there because it does take away from the end of the season, here's Darth Vader, because you saw him at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, I, 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 I could see Greg's point on that. And it, I feel like it kind of takes away from the Inquisitor as well. You know, the Inquisitor is meant to be the big, the, the big bad guy for the entire show. But by introducing Vader so early, you kind of, it's already a reminder that, oh, by the way, the Inquisitor is kind of small fish compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, the Inquisitor, I'd say, kind of rises beyond that and, and feels really awesome throughout the entire season. But I think it's in spite of that scene, not because of it. Hmm. Fascinating. I, I think those are all excellent points. Um, I think overall, Spark of Rebellion was a very strong start to the episode, uh, to the season. I mean, we got um, some great appearances by... I mean, I, okay, let's actually only dive into this. When uh, When you first saw... Um, Commandant Aresco and Taskmaster Grint at the beginning of mm. Spark of Rebellion. What did you think of them? Because personally, when I saw it, I, I just assumed they were these random throwaway characters that would disappear completely. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, they mm-hmm. had a pretty you know large role in the season uh, as you know recurring characters. Um, what are your thoughts on 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 this? I I thought it was. You know, we were talking about how they were constrained for resources. I thought this was a really... They tied together a lot of pieces really well. 
Yeah, they did. Um, they, they made production constraints actually work for them instead of against. By making such a constrained story on Lothal and reusing characters, and not just reusing their models, but making them the actual same characters, mm-hmm. you got to feel like there's actually community people on Lothal. And while, yes, that community felt kind of small, like, you know, are there really only two Imperial officers on this entire planet? It's much better than, you know, the Clone Wars, where it's like, that's the same, that's the same model, but a different person, or the mm-hmm. same alien, but a different person. Uh, I thought like this worked really well for what they were trying to accomplish, and and you know when those two characters got killed uh, at the end of the season by Tarkin or at Tarkin's order, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I wouldn't not that I was broken up over that, but you you have to sit up and notice like those are it's not like they're just killing two no name characters. These are people who have been there the entire season. Well, the the one thing that's nice about this show is. And I've said it many times. If you call attention to something, make sure there's a payoff to it. And this is the perfect example when it comes to these two characters. Because technically, you could almost consider them they were the low-life you know, Imperial officers who are just there to take advantage of the people. That's it. They, they really, you know, we're, we're going to do the best job we can. But, you know, if they get away, that's fine. You know, th- there's not going to be a consequence to this. You know, um, but... There is a consequence, and a certain point at the end, like Stephen, you said, they get off because they were not the imperial officers that are supposed to be there. <laughs> it just, it was nice. I mean, this is just one little touch. Like I said, you call attention to something, it pays off at the end. Well, this is the first time you see something. They're called attention to these guys. There's a payoff at the end, and then there's another one when it comes to episode two. There's something else that they use that pays wow. off at the end. Well, that's why I didn't get there, because we didn't get to George. Yeah, no, I was going to say, um, something I thought I wish they had paid off on but didn't is in Spark of Rebellion, we're introduced to Kitwar and a number of other Wookiees. Oh, yeah. And, they, and those, they appeared in, uh, I don't know about if it was Kitwar specifically, but we see a Wookiee ship appear in Lego form, mm-hmm. um, which Good is one, interesting cause... given that they're only in the single episode. And I kept expecting to see them coming back. Maybe that's saved for uh, season two. Yeah, yeah, that 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 has more of a Zillow Beast type feel in many ways, where they're, you know, they're they're characters that you you can bring back at some point, but mm-hmm. aren't necessarily critical to the story, uh, and and people might they might be fan favorites that they can bring back at some other point in time and mm-hmm. keep people all excited. But the Boba Fett effect, yes, exactly. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think. I, I like the episode and, you know, I think we talked about a lot of these back when we did our original review, but everything from the, like the lightsaber animation where it's kind of like moving back and forth a bit and a little bit more like original trilogy style and, you know, the the music and the way that, you know, Kanan did the, the uh, was it 22 pickup, I think it was, or um, that, that, yes, that, that strategy. Yes, that was the 22 pickup, yeah. Yeah, where they, um, you know, they, they, they rescue them and, basically in the cargo container and, and fly off and all sorts of things. So I think overall this was a it was a very strong start to the to the series and uh, just awesome all around. I think another thing to, to end talking about this was how it ended with how Kanan actually shows he's a Jedi. Yes. And that's probably one of the coolest things at the end of the episode where he's just like, you know what? Everybody's gonna know. Because that was one thing when it came to uh, A New Dawn. He never drew his lightsaber in the book A New Dawn. 
and it's cool that they saved it for those who didn't renew Dawn. They saved his lightsaber being pulled at the end of this. Well, they Ezra turned it on at one point during the episode, as I recall, which I thought, as I mentioned in when we originally reviewed it, I thought it was not quite how I would have liked. Um, yeah, one thing. But- Sorry, go ahead. But, but uh, that, that's okay. But I, I was looking at it as by way of Kanan actually drawing it and being a Jedi that he is. Correct. You know, I, I agree that yeah, it was kind of cheesy to Ezra find it like a little kid. Oh, I've got to turn this on. Thankfully, he wasn't looking down the barrel of it when he turned it on. But you know, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> episode, the show would have been over really quick. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of the scene in the Patriot where Mel Gibson gets his chest of old war weapons and dusts them off and puts them back on. That sort of classic movie. Mm-hmm. Trope where the the former warrior has to pick up his weapon again, even though he doesn't really want to. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, something else I was thinking of is back in Spark of Rebellion, uh, before we knew you know a lot about the tone and things like that of the show, we had this really interesting scene where Callus is just brutally murders one of his uh, fellow stormtroopers, and I remember wondering at the time. Oh, that's right. If that would become a theme if they're going to try and treat stormtroopers as kind of disposable. Uh, Mer- like well like the droids yeah like you know That's things right. you can blow up you know or brutally murder however you want and it for, as kind of a way to get a laugh um i'm kind of glad they didn't end up going that route because i thought it would have been a little on the dark side um no pun, no in- pun intended uh, that was <laughs> honestly no proud. pun intended but even peel would have been proud oh Thanks. i didn't do it <laughs> not me i that was <laughs> actually was opening my mouth to say it but tom beat me to it so i can put all the blame on him I'll take uh, it. Okay, continue, Stephen. <laughs> that, that, that was it. I um, back to the, our original reviews and like, what did we talk about then? And how did like? Yeah. Back then, we didn't know anything about the show really, or I shouldn't say we didn't know anything, but there was still a number of questions about what would the final, what would the rest of the season look like? Right. What's the tone of the show? What's the humor? What's you know all those sorts of questions? And looking back now, I can say I'm, I'm pretty happy with how that all turned out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so the next episode focused on two fan favorites. Now, you know, R2-D2 and C-3PO have been in pretty much, you know, they've been in every film. They've been in, you know, many, 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 many episodes of the Clone Wars. But because of the focus of this show, they, they're not focused on, you know, the, the, the characters from the films. It's harder to have them in you know, every or even many episodes of the show. Uh, so this is really, I think, the only one, the only episode they were in all season. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I would almost wonder if, like, they felt like they had to do the R2-D2 and C-3PO episode just so they could keep them in, those characters in uh, in every, you know, Star Wars on-screen uh, property. But... Um, but I think in this case it actually worked for the best because it we're did, also it did. introduced to well yeah it, we're also introduced to uh, a character that does carry over from the Clone Wars at the end yeah so we so, get Bail Organa yep. uh, voiced by Phil Lamar uh, from the Clone Wars we're introduced to Minister Maketh Tua and uh, and we had some really great interaction and, and this was also the Star Tours episode. Yes, oh, we had Pee Wee right. Herman, Herman returned as the voice of Captain Rex although he wasn't Captain Rex. He was Captain Rex. Well, well, but he didn't do the actual voice of Captain Rex. Yeah. No, trust me, that was not 
No. It's the same voice actor. It's it's the same voice actor, but it's not how it sounded like. It's what I meant was it's not what it sounded like in the original Star Tours. Oh, I see. I see. Yes, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. I take that back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because yeah, the character's name that. was Rex, and it was the same yes. voice actor and everything. It's so. the same voice actor, but it didn't sound like Captain Rex. I see. Well, I will I will let you as the as our resident Star Tours expert. Yeah, I grew up in that park. Final call. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in that park. Uh, I still haven't. I'm looking forward to reading, writing the new Star Tours. I still haven't oh, yes. done that yet. So, um, two weeks. But yeah, I thought, this was a yeah. fun episode. We, I think, we probably learned some of the the most we have about. Uh, well, maybe not the most, but we did learn a little bit more about Sabine. She was kind of sitting there as a translator. We had some good, um, uh, you know, bait and switch with the droids and lots of crawling through vents, which became a theme this season. <laughs> Uh, with Ezra. Which paid off again at the end. It did, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had the whole sale of the weapons at the end, which, uh, to, to Visago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they they kept, I think, half, and Visago ran off with half. Or they, they blew up half, I think, and Visago ran off the other half. And they never really came back to those weapons. That was one of the few plot points, I feel like, that they never picked up and ran with in there the rest that. of the season. So there are actually two now that... Uh, my biggest complaint, I think, with this episode and its place with the entire season is we got a lot of character development. Excuse me. Character development. Yes. A lot of character development for Zeb. And we set up this huge rivalry between Zeb and Callus, and we never saw anything else of it during the rest of the rest of the season. That's true, yeah. That's a good point. We talked about how he... um, what was it? Tortured his his people and tortured yep. his people with that weapon. Yeah, and that's oh, why it wasn't, to- it, was it wasn't torture. It was genocide. Genocide. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, it's we're, like, we're like, you know, nice, well, but what's really a more worse? cool version of okay. you know? <laughs> no, no. Hang on. It's it's much better because at least they died and torture. You're still alive, and I think we should give. Cal so on that comment, more. let's move on. Wow. Um, I, I think you guys have been killing womp rats for too long. That's that's how it starts. Hey, Pete. We're yeah. not killing them. It's just torture. That's <laughs> that is not true. I'm pretty sure our kill count is far too high. But moving on. So let me just let me just say I did. I, there's two things that I wanted to mention on this one uh-huh. um, before we move on. Uh, you guys mentioned c 3 r 2 earlier, and I think as an older fan that has been following the EEO and has watched the droids cartoons back in the day. We all sort of knew, or it's sort of like the collective hive mind of Star Wars that C-3PO and R2 are off having adventures mm-hmm. that we don't know about off screen. And it's kind of neat. This is a little nod to this. This is one of the adventures they, they had gone yes. on that we didn't know about before New Hope happened. Well, they also did it in Dark Horse. They addressed it in uh, the comic droids because I happen to have that in which, for, you know, a couple issues, but they had their own adventure there at Dark Horse as well. So and and the, the thing that I've always heard from where i've seen this supposedly the overall story arc of star wars is being told through the eyes of r2 and 3po but now with the new canon who's to say but that's what i was always back in the day from the episode four release that was the pose the whole overall arc of star wars so and if this is the case then it's kind of carrying on that way yeah, so. it, they they make for really excellent viewpoint characters and uh, some comedy as well, I think, which is nice. Um, and the episode definitely, I think, it used them effectively, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the sec- building off of 
uh, I don't want to say the first episode, the like third or fourth or first episode, depending on your definition, uh, we pulled in fight or flight where uh, we got to see a lot more of Ezra and Zeb as they stole a TIE fighter and uh, attempted to escape and, of course, destroyed at the very end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, this, Most- I think, is where chemistry, the chemistry between the two of them really starts to show because it's almost like they're big brother, little brother. And, and, and it pops out in this way. And it's kind of a theme that carries on through throughout the, the whole season between the two. Yeah, and this, in all honesty, this is probably one of the weakest episodes of the season overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd agree. A lot, there wasn't a ton of plot movement going on in this one. Um, but the, the highlight for me, besides, you know, the, the zany antics of Zeb and Ezra, was the quiet moments... Um, I think it was in this one, wasn't it? Where Hera and Kanan are sitting down in the around the hollow table and talking about how everybody's off the ship finally and they can mm-hmm. relax. Yes, yes. Um, and so. that's sort of uh, we 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 get a sort of a slow build and a slow burn for the Hera and Kanan relationship through the course of the season, where it was sort of hinted at, but we didn't really get any uh, confirmation about what might be going on until much later in the season. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know this this episode did set up the whole Tie Fighter plot point, which would uh, come into play in the season finale, where uh, you know the, we find out that they they didn't destroy the Tie Fighter; they kept it, and they've been working on it, and uh, and it ends up helping them save uh, save Kanan. But I I do agree; I think it probably was one of the weakest episodes. Um, and so it makes sense that it was placed as like, you know, the third episode of the season where it's, it's early enough that you can still afford to have those weaker mm-hmm. episodes, but not so early that you turn people off from the show right away. Yeah. And it, it definitely feels like an early episode in the sense that, you know, they, they had hit on co- upon this idea that, you know, let's treat Zeb and Ezra like they're brothers and have yeah. a brotherly relationship. And, you know, they'd knock on each other and things like that. Um, and I think they showed that that idea works pretty well for what they're trying to do. It, it had humor to it. But this is one of those episodes where they, they focused on it a little too heavily to the point of where you start to wonder, like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, I realize you two are fighting, but you're being shot at by TIE fighters. Maybe you should focus on that. Mm-hmm. And you can see that they kind of toned it down in later episodes such that it's still there and it's still a funny element, but it's no longer as uh, out of place as it felt here, I think. Yeah, and uh, I, I think oh, there was still a number of good scenes. So overall, it was it, oh, was, yeah. a, it was an enjoyable episode, but definitely not the strongest. I, I would consider um, it. I would consider it a breather episode. Yeah, not filler, not not yeah. entirely filler because it did play a play a role in, yep. in many ways. But uh, but yeah, more of a, a breather. Yeah. Um, however, one of the weaker episodes was followed up with I think one of the mm-hmm. strongest ones. Oh yes. Um, in in the first season, rise. Of the old masters, and this one um, is, is you know Senator Gall Travis uh, appears, uh, voiced by Brent Spiner, and um, and he he basically tells the Jedi that Luminara and Dully is still alive, and that they have to go rescue him, and so Kanan, so he tells he tells the rebels, uh, and so Kanan formulates a plan, and they they enter the ship only to discover that. Luminara is dead and dead Inquisitor. She's been for a while. She's like yeah. a corpse. And the Inquisitor is there and it's all a trap. And I just I have to say the Inquisitor is one of my favorite characters. Um 
And so just the, the whole scene where he reveals himself and they start fighting was just unbelievably fantastic. And so uh, I'm I, 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 I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I think episode. what made it what made it for me was the fighting style of the Inquisitor. He's got such this really it, it's it's. I almost want to say like a classier fighting style than than Count Dooku. Dooku has more of an aristic, uh, he, he's like an aristic aristocrat. Right. The Inquisitor where, is a little bit arrogant, but also. Yes. Um, but but it's almost like he holds himself. He's arrogant, but he's holding himself on a little bit higher standard than if he was up against Dooku. Yeah. I, I I think I think you're right. It's yeah. It's it, it's hard to describe his style compared to Dooku, but it's just that little a little bit more. Ab- Above Dooku on his style, which is just how they how they came up with his light uh, style of animation for for lightsaber battle was just beautiful. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really loved with the introduction of the Inquisitor was, um, in in some ways, I'm not going to compare him in terms of a lot of ways, but in some ways, he's very similar to Palpatine um, because yeah. we see villains that enjoy being villains. Yes. And that's a lot of fun because Vader is scary. Vader is awesome, but he doesn't seem to be having a good time most of the time. Well, you he can't doesn't, tell by he his doesn't face. revel in being yeah. who he is. Yes, but the Inquisitor, the Inquisitor really enjoys it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that makes him so deliciously evil. Mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. Um, well, so and, cool. they, and they did a much better job of introducing him in Rebels as well. Like you think about when. Uh, you know, they introduced Grievous in the Clone Wars, and his first action is he loses. Right. That is not the case here. And the, the Inquisitor, from the moment he's, he steps on screen, is in control of the situation. And he feels that much more powerful for the rest of the season because of, because of that. Mm-hmm. It, you're never doubting how powerful he is because you've seen it. And that, that kind of leads to his arrogance, too. Yes. He's got that air to him. It's like, I cannot be beaten. And I'm going to beat you down. I'm not running away. I'm going to fight until basically I can't fight anymore. But I'm not running like Grievous would when he sees an opportunity to flee. He would flee. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think Rise of the Old Masters was the uh, rookies episode of the Clone Wars. It was the episode yes. that, that showed yes. us all that this is a show that they know what they're doing. And they've got plans and can make ex- really exciting episodes. You know, as good as the stuff, or as, I don't want to call it necessarily good. The the first couple of episodes were enjoyable. The movie was enjoyable. This was the one that was really good, I feel. From I a, think, actually, that's a, that's a, a quality standpoint. Analogy. It yep. really is the Rookies episode. Yep, agreed. Um, and while, you know, I think when we look back on the Clone Wars, we wouldn't say that Rookies was the best episode of the series, uh, it was the one, it was really the turning point and still continues to be a fantastic episode to this day. And I think that perfectly describes Rise of the Old Masters as as really being the first standout episode that we got on Rebels. Yeah. Um, So I I, I loved that one. That's that's probably one of my personal favorites. Uh, This was followed by Breaking Ranks, probably another somewhat weaker episode. Uh, Not as weak as Fight or Flight, but definitely not as strong as Rise of the Old Masters. Mm -hmm. And in this one... Ezra infiltrates an Imperial Academy, and we we meet up with uh, Zara Leonis, who has a, is the star of a of a spinoff. Uh, yeah, it's the, uh, it's a it's a young young readers novel series. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
and he he's put through some training courses kind of reminiscent of the the training course episodes we got in the clone wars the uh, i think we also talked about yeah, the box, the box at one point um although i, I think and we, we mentioned this in our original review but kind of kind of simplistic in in some ways they're they're a training course mm-hmm. uh not super not super involved well i think they were just trying to they were doing it for a reason because whoever i guess ended up being top of the class ended up in front of the inquisitor they were trying there i don't think we ever got the explanation of what they were really training for because the inquisitor was also involved because when it was all said and done zara leonis actually was in front of the inquisitor mm-hmm. so yeah. there's something about it if if you read um jason fry's the servants of the empire series the second book which was recently released goes into some detail about this um i'm not sure how much of that is something that Jason developed and how much is stuff that's coming from the Rebels show Bible or story group. Mm-hmm. But the the basic guy, there's a different project and there's like, I think, I believe it was called Project Harvester. Um, and basically, if you excelled to a certain degree in these tests, then you would be put on an examination list to see if you were force sensitive. Mm. Um, I had a feeling. They're, they're basically harvesting any force sensitives for has yet to be revealed the uh, nefarious purposes in special hmm. training. That's probably how they get their Inquisitors then. So I wonder then if, if this episode was meant to be kind of, I don't want to call it a backdoor pilot, but like a backdoor book pilot, you know, set up another line of uh, content, so to speak. Oh, I would agree. Because I think the the first book came out, I almost want to say before this, but... I can't nail down exactly when that first book came out. Okay. Yeah, because I read that book. I haven't picked up the second one yet. But I re- yeah. the only thing I remember about that book is it seemed like somebody somebody joked on the internet. It's almost like Friday Night Lights in the Star Wars universe because it dealt with almost like a, a football-type sports theme to it. Uh, but it did get into the harvesting thing about the um, – what was the fruit they had to go after? In the that one of the, Yeah. About there was that farm that was being plowed under. But that's, again, a story for another day because that's a book series. We'll review that later. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, getting back to the episode, I will say that one of the things I loved about this episode is the world building. Um, mm-hmm. Leading mm-hmm. up to the series, Pablo Hidalgo, who's on the story group and is working on the show, talked about in the New York Comic Con panel the fact that the stormtroopers are not clones anymore. They're recruits. And this is one of the first times that we're actually seeing that process happening. You figure there's this giant galaxy-wide spanning empire, and Palpatine could either grow, spend money and grow clones to try to enforce his rule, or he could co-opt locals, get them to buy into his evil regime, and have them turn on their neighbors. He saves money, and he actually reduces the people he has to try to subjugate. So it's, it's pretty awesome and pretty interesting way to go about doing that. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed that quite a bit as well, and I feel like we we've always known that they were recruits in the in the expanded universe, but kind of to see this on screen as well is was nice, especially after you know the the Force Awakens trailer hit and people were like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I thought they were clones. Were like, no, 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 no. You, you clearly have not been following the expanded <laughs> <Right>. universe. <laughs> They're recruits. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I did enjoy that aspect of the of the world building overall. And we got Zara Leonis, who I'm sure will be appearing more and more in various uh, forms 
So the next episode we got was Out of Darkness. And uh, this is where the fulcrum plot starts to heat up. Um, Sabine and Hera take the Phantom to an abandoned asteroid base, uh, which actually turns out to be one from uh, the Clone Wars. Uh, same reused assets and everything. And uh, to go you know, meet Fulcrum and exchange uh, some, some, carbo- some cargo. And uh, we end up not meeting Fulcrum and they, they, the two have to hold off against the, uh, some creatures, uh, in the, in the darkness and wait for rescue. Thoughts on yeah. this episode? Well, this, this is, act- go ahead. No, go ahead, Steven. So I was gonna say, I think this is actually my most, the episode I was most disappointed with in all of the first season. And I, I don't necessarily mean that in a quality sense, but I feel like the two characters that desperately needed more character development were Sabine and Hera. And especially Agreed. at this point, they'd gotten almost nothing. And so we were all really hopeful that this would be the episode we get to find out more about their backstories. And we got a little bit, um, you know, we learned a little bit about Sabine's history, and we learned a little bit about Hera, and obviously we're, the Fulcrum connection. But I, I felt like we were just left wanting more, that we still don't know a lot about these characters and the episode that should have delivered it really didn't. Mm-hmm. But it did set up the whole, uh, fulcrum. Yes. Subplot and start leaving clues. And, you know, I think we talked about this last time you were on the show, Pete, but, um, you know, the, 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 the style of the, the, the boxes, the pack, um, uh, the cargo that they pick up, uh, kind of matched Ahsoka's, uh, you know, visual stylings and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it they started kind of laying the groundwork for Fulcrum at this point, and which was which is pretty cool. They did, yeah. I, I I guess I wasn't the first to notice that there was people like Jonah Marie Macias were pointing that out. And I was oh like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, what I liked about this, I I think I got to agree to some extent that Sabine didn't get a lot of development in this episode. But I think in in many ways Hera did because this is the first episode where we see just how much Hera is isolating herself from the rest of the crew, how much mm-hmm. information she's withholding from them, and the burden that that's putting on her um, because it's causing friction in in the relationship that she has with Sabine pretty strongly. Um, and that's something that I think we're going to see explored more and more as the season developed and potentially in the future as she has to deal with now the secrets out there. How does she relate to everyone, and how does how do the rules change? I kind of agree. I think uh, w- one thing I would like to have seen. I still want to see more backstory on Sabine. I, I'm not saying that they dropped the ball on this. I mean, she she has her reasons for being part of this team, and she in this episode is trying to justify. You know, how can you? How can I still be part of this team if you're not giving me all the information? Okay, we understand. By this, she was burned somewhere within the Imperial Academy. You know, it's great you've got that little bit, but I want to see more from her. And I think out of all the characters, she needs to be explored a little bit more. This was a great opportunity. They gave they gave you a little bit of a taste, but that was about it. So hopefully going forward, she will get more of a backstory. Hera, I thought, was more developed from the book as well, because I think I got more of a backstory from that. But, you know, that, that was the book, sure. so... But yeah, then we got point. to see those beasties too. <laughs> yeah, that, 
it, it, they ended up proving a, a little more important than I think we expected at first as they showed up. I'm trying to remember, was it the next episode or was it two later? It was. I think it was Path of the. I want to. Uh, was it Path of the Jedi? It was Gathering Forces. It was mm-hmm. two episodes. Okay. Okay. I missed it by one. Yep. But uh, in the, the next episode, we had uh, Empire Day. Oh, this was fun. This this has the best line. Woo, Empire Day! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I mean, that was actually, I have to say, that was quite funny. Oh, totally. And uh, this yeah. episode lined up on Ezra's 15th birthday, and uh, which also happened to be Empire Day, the, the anniversary of the Empire rising to power which also is the anniversary of Order 66, which is kind of a depressing thing to celebrate, <laughs> I guess. Uh, or, or at least place to, uh, to remember, right? Empire Day. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like uh, kind of like D-Day in, in, in that sense. You know, you remember uh, every year, you know, it comes around like, oh yeah, this anniversary of D-Day or something. Um, but with, uh, with Empire Day, the Empire had this major parade, which had a much more triumphant and upbeat uh, version of the Imperial March, and we f- meet Sibo, um, the the Rodian who knew Ezra's parents, and they try to help him escape off-world with a bunch of information. Um, and this is this is part really one right. of, mm-hmm. of two. Yeah, this was the first time uh, we'd seen that sort of thing done in Rebels. You know, obviously we saw in the Clone Wars them do a lot of uh, two-part episodes or three parts. Um, which meant we got, you know, these same sort of cliffhangers to at least some degree. Uh, but Rebels had been following, you know, a big overarching story for the most part. So this was the first cliffhanger we got. And I thought they actually pulled it off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Left you at a moment of extreme suspense, but it's what they're supposed to do. And we we got a ton in this episode, too. I mean, besides the fact this is probably the musical highlight of the season, just with that the Imperial March theme that's changed in there. But we got the introduction of the new, the Inquisitor's new tie advanced. Mm-hmm. We got the introduction of the the Bridger's house and the recording equipment they used to make broadcasts. Yes, yes. We we got more information on the low butt style cybernetic implants that Zebo has, mm-hmm. and we got hints about the Bridger's like backstory about what happened to them and they disappeared. It's just, we got a, a ton of story if you look back at this twenty two minute episode. A ton of stuff in here that they built off on later on in the series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, re- I really enjoyed this episode. I think, thought this was a very well-done episode. Um, and kind of a two-parter, because they, they they started to get Sibo off-world in Empire Day and pick things up in Gathering Forces with the Empire hot on their tail. And they're trying to, you know, draw the Inquisitor away from Sibo. And they end up returning back to the um, the asteroid base from uh, Out of Darkness just two episodes prior. Mm-hmm. So once again, a a seemingly throwaway location comes back relatively quickly, uh, which was kind of nice to see. And in this episode, we actually see Ezra start to use the Force in a way that almost frightens Kanan. You know, he. Mm-hmm. He used the uh, the forest to control the the, the creatures on the planet, um, and uh, and he ends up pulling out the calling up the, the 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 big the big scary creature, the big beastie. Yeah, to, yeah the easiest way to, to come it. attack the Inquisitor because they have this big giant duel, and Kanan's knocked out, and 
and all that kind of stuff. And Ezra ends up saving Kanan, um, but he's a, he's a little nervous about it. But I also think an interesting thing was this uh, about this was uh, Ezra fainted. Ezra got to a point to where he used so much of the Force, yes. he just passed out. And then when he finally awoke, he was like, you know, he felt cold, which we've heard that reference before in uh, Empire Strikes Back. And then he really doesn't remember. I don't think he he remembers what happened per se. Mm-hmm. Well, it's this is actually something we kind of forgot to mention for some of the previous episodes. But after the first episode, Kane's like, you know what, Ezra, I'll train you as a Jedi. Oh yeah. And good we then spend multiple episodes where every so often will be like, oh yeah, Ezra, your training's going really well. But we never actually saw mm. him training. We never really saw him improving. It was kind of like, okay, like to be fair, we, be... we we did see a few scenes where like they would. There... Basically, throw the ball around. Oh yeah, for like yeah. yeah. On, on top words, of the ghost, know. throwing bottles and he falls to his death. Before, uh, before I'm pretty sure that comes later, though. I thought, right? Screen. No, that was like at the beginning of um, uh, uh, Rise of the Old Masters. I remember that scene oh, was there. Oh, that's right. Yep. So we did get that's a little right. bit of it, but it it wasn't that extensive for sure. Yeah, and it and it was after gathering forces and Ezra's brush with the dark side that I think they really kicked that storyline into high gear, so to speak. We really got to see more of the training. We got to actually feel like Ezra's making progress, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it it was a really welcome change for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, I'm I'm curious. What are your thoughts on Sibo? Because he he ends up escaping at the end of the episode and that's kind of it he never really gets used again um thoughts pete well i'm sure he's gets up in a plushy condo somewhere from from ahsoka um i'm sure she's taking care of him somewhere pumping him for information yeah i i kind of expect we'll see more of him as uh, there's also this kind of subplot running through the series about the uh, what Ezra's parents were doing and how important they are or aren't. Mm-hmm. And Sibo uh, is one of our big remaining links for them, I think. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I kind of expect we might see him again in season two. Yeah, it's sorry. Go ahead. No, go go ahead, Pete. Uh, I was just gonna just popped in my head. It's kind of like a subtle um, parallel to what we see in Kevin Hearn's *Heir to the Jedi*. With the rebellion rescuing an alien that has skills or information they need, and re- like resettling them somewhere else, so outside of the Empire's grip. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the 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 Rebel Alliance protective custody or witness protection program they got going on. <laughs> yep. So <clears throat> the next episode was another enjoyable one. I think this was Path of the Jedi. Um, I say enjoy mostly because I think any episode of the Inquisitor is a, a great episode, but, um, <laughs> um, in, in this one, Ezra, we, you know, following up on what Steven said earlier, uh, Kanan decides that, well, you know, it's, it's kind of time to focus on Ezra's training in earnest and they bring him to the ancient Jedi temple that happens to coincidentally be located on Lothal mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, kind of have him go through a, a series of of trials, uh, much like what Luke goes through, where he sees a bunch of visions um, in uh, in the, in the cave. This episode featured a very special guest appearance by in Frank way, Oz himself. Yeah, in a way, it was an appearance. It was more. It was more again a callback to uh, Clone Wars. 
especially to the lost season. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. It was a callback to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, at this point, Yoda is on Dagobah, so he can't really be going anywhere. Yes. But we do hear his voice, and he talks to uh, to Ezra quite a bit, um, which was really cool to hear. You know, Frank Oz back, yeah, playing Yoda after you know a decade. Um, thoughts on it, this episode on the? Yeah, I mean, I I thought you covered it pretty well. It it felt like. It was one of not I don't want to call it a filler episode because obviously stuff happened, but it was it was a good you know what you hope a season's made up of you know these solid episodes and they don't necessarily all have to be mind blowingly amazing, but it has to be something that you enjoy watching and I thought this worked really well. And, and I really I really dug the fact that they're introducing uh, a new Jedi temple mm-hmm. or multiple satellite temples across the galaxy. Um, as I don't want to spoil too much, but. As an EU fan and a new and a reader, um, the the Tarkin novel talks about Sith, um, basically Sith temples and other Jedi temples, and there's there's these like Locus is a force across the galaxy where we might see more temples from both the light and the dark side that they could be exploring in the new canon going forward, which yep. opens up some interesting possibilities down the road. Yes, indeed, it's definitely true. Um. So yeah, I, I thought that was a fun episode, a good fight scene with the Inquisitor in that one. Uh, and just, again, great to see, to have Yoda in. Can't really see him, but great to hear Yoda in the episode. It was good to hear that Yoda was back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I will say this episode did feature the one moment of the season that annoyed me the most probably out of anything oh, really? this season. Oh, okay. What was this? Okay. So you guys could probably guess from stuff I've done in the past that I'm a huge fan of lightsabers. I, I love when we get some more information about them. I oh. love the scene in iJedi where we have extended chapters on how Cornhorn built his lightsaber. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that we saw the deleted scene of Luke assembling his lightsaber recently from a couple celebrations ago. But in this episode, we, we have Ezra get his crystal, and then the next scene we see his fully assembled lightsaber. And I... I, I think it's cool that he built the lightsaber. I think it's awesome that he had one, but they didn't explain how he could have learned to build it. They didn't show him building it all. So it didn't really pay off for me. It felt like they didn't have enough time, so they sort of threw it on at the end real quick there. And that was interesting. That well, it, was the it was one almost thing like, that, Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think they did do a throwaway line of them saying, well, he's been up there for a while. I mean... I can't yeah. remember if it was like for a couple days or whatever. I, it, it's a throwaway. I understand what you're saying uh, that, that you would love to have seen it. Okay. For for the amount of um, fo- I don't want to call it focus uh, reverence they had for Canyon's lightsaber, like in the first episode. Right. You know they it you know they make it such a big deal when he pulls it out. I agree. I kind of wish they they devoted something similar to Ezra's instead of just kind of throwing it out at the end of an episode. But also for me, I think if you go back to Clone Wars, there was the episode with Yoda and the younglings when they went to go find their crystals. And this was, okay, a different temple, different time, different different show. But how he got his crystal was way different than the other four. Mm-hmm. Because they had to almost go through, you know, they had the crystals called to them. And if I remember correct, didn't one of them he found a crystal, but it was too quick when he found it, and it wasn't a real crystal. 
and Yoda had to send him back. And it was, oh, the crystal had to sing to them or something. Well, I, well I no, think... but th- th- there was something about how they got the crystals. It was much different than how Ezra got his. Yeah, well, I, I think the thing of it is that what, going back to the Younglings episode was that the, each Jedi has a different path. Correct. And each Jedi has a different test. And so the fact that every Jedi that we saw Youngling in that episode, they each got their crystal differently. Um, and so I don't think it's odd that Ezra got his sort of as a more spiritual sort of test that he went through when he was talking mm-hmm. to Yoda. Right. Um, but I, I wonder if Yoda would give him a crystal anyway, just because there's so few Jedi at the time. <laughs> but, you know, back in the day, we're going to we're gonna great on even considered you. But well, we're a little go. short on men right now. So, yeah, uh... we, we could use all the help we can get. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, but I really, I, I actually really like the the crystal part of it. It's just, it's the lightsaber part at the end that really got me. So it was, it was like, it felt like the episode was just humming, humming along that sort of just crashed to a halting start for me. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a quick question on this. Do you like what he came up with a lightsaber? I mean, it's not your standard lightsaber. He's got basically a stun gun or a pistol built into the hilt of the saber. Mm-hmm. Con- conceptually, I like the idea of it. Aesthetically, I think it's hideous looking. <laughs> and I, 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 I would I, agree. And like this is, and I'm a huge fan of some of the designs in the show. Like I love Kanan's lightsaber. It's probably my favorite designed lightsaber of any lightsaber mm-hmm. we have in Star Wars. I just love the the samurai sword kind of look to it, mm-hmm. um, and the way that it's got the the uh, the guard at the top of it and the sort of the uneven emitter. Right. Um, but yeah, Ezra's just it doesn't. I don't like the look of it. <laughs> okay, but the funny thing is, I, I know you may not agree with it, but that actually plays later into the uh, series oh, yeah. because he does make that comment later, where it's like, "Huh, I never thought about that," because that actually was pretty cool. So that did kind of pay off. Yep. Yeah, and I feel like it was around this point in the season that they were really starting to ratchet things up. We got. Um, I think I'd argue one of the, almost the biggest guest stars in the next episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where the crew of the ghost is uh, forced to do business with a certain Lando Calrissian. Um, it was just, I found it really interesting that, you know, Billy D. Williams, I don't, I'm trying to think the last time he actually did anything Star Wars related. And I want to say it's probably been a while. Well, well if you want to count fanboys. Or starring <laughs> well, in like. Robot Chicken. Robot Chicken. There you yeah, go. You know, that's Star true, War, Lego Star Wars. He's in quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. Quite a bit. Maybe I'm. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. But <laughs> anyway, so he's been there a lot. So ignore everything I just said. But still, the, this is now canonically the earliest I think we've ever seen Lando. That I believe is still correct, right? Maybe. I, I well, yeah, because we have there's not much canon anymore. Well, I'm thinking even in the old canon, did we even? I don't know if we. I don't know. We saw. Uh, what is it? In the, of, yeah. the Han Solo yeah. trilogy. The, the Lando Calrissian Adventures. Oh, it's. Uh, yep, yeah, I guess that was first. Okay. Yeah. I stand corrected. I think. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> there was an episode called Idiot's Array that starred Lando, and that's where I'll leave it. And not only that, it included, you know, the classic Idiot's Array mm-hmm. uh, card game. You from mean the expanded Sabak? universe. I'm sorry, a uh, uh, Sabak card game, Sabak, not Idiot's Array. Yes. Um, with wow, the Idiot's Array hand and everything. 
and they, so they kept the same card style and everything. But they they did kind of they did kind of take some of the high tech out of the card game that we had in the EU. Like that is there true. Was, there was a lot of talk in the EU novels about the fact that the cards were like, like electronic, shape, shape. and they would and they would they would trade they would change on you, and you had to put them in like the holding stasis field That's or whatever right. to keep their face values. That's well, right. yeah. That's, that now. Static is kind of like poker. They're just different variants, and uh, mm-hmm. this happened to be just a less common variant, which makes it. I don't want to say harder to cheat, but uh, I think we all know Lando probably had some sort of card up his sleeve. We, but this this whole episode makes me wonder, how do they not have Disney Consumer Products putting out a Sabacc game that we can buy and play? Like, this seems like an obvious thing they could make and sell and us is, geeks would buy it. That's an excellent question. <laughs> I mean, come on. They, they really should. I mean, it'd be cheap, easy to do. I don't know. Well, if they were to announce something like that, you know, maybe a big convention with lots of Star Wars fans. Hey, you never know. There's not one coming up, is there? No. <laughs> no. I think Comic Con's in July. It's probably the uh, one, oh, Wait, wait, wait. There, there is a convention at that. WonderCon. No, that's not big enough. That is this weekend. Um, there's anyway. also anyway. <laughs> so uh, it was at this point, I think, in the series where. We we hit the end game, so to speak. Uh, Vision of Hope, the tenth episode, uh, where we get a recurring character from the previous couple of episodes, which was and his name I'm gonna I can't remember his name. Start with the G. Garvel? No. Uh, Gal Travis. Thank you, Gal Travis. Travis, sorry. Uh, his little subplot of being a uh, quote unquote rebel sympathizer. Uh, finally pays off when he visits Lothal and attempts to meet up with the crew of the Ghost. And things go horribly wrong. They try to rescue him and or meet up with him, and they realize, oh, wait, he's actually working for the Empire, but not I after trying say to this, run away. It's a trap! <laughs> it really was a trap. It was! Uh, we got Murderous Chopper in this episode. <laughs> That's uh, true! Chopper tried to kill everyone in sight. <laughs> yep. Um... Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an enjoyable episode for sure. Um, uh, we talked about, I think this at at, at length. Yeah. But uh, kind of setting up the fact that oh, you know, the Empire is really pulling all the strings here, and they think that they're they're trying to work with the senator, but they're they're not. Um. Which leads us, unless you guys have any comments on uh, this episode in particular, to... Uh, uh, I just, I, I just want to say that uh-huh. Travis went down like a chump. <laughs> he did. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. That is true. Uh, and, and that leads us to the next episode. <clears throat> My personal favorite, actually. This one... This one's... Well, so many good episodes. Um... <laughs> Okay, so yeah, one of my favorites. I'm not sure if it's my absolute favorite, but definitely one of my, my top three. Call to action. This had the uh, this is the first of a three part uh, arc featuring the Grand Moff himself, Tarkin, mm-hmm. uh, voiced by Stephen Stanton, and um, you know I I just thought the everything about this episode was just so perfectly done. Tarkin 
arrives on Lothal and is like, okay, you know what? You guys are uh, are not doing a good job, and I'm here to get stuff done. I and want results. Sort things out. I want results. I want results. And he proceeds to really shake up the uh, the group quite a bit. The the Imperials on Lothal. Mm-hmm. You know he he's talking down to Grint and Oresco and the Inquisitor and uh, the Minister Tua and Callus and basically telling all of them you're not doing a very good job. And in fact, he even you know, orders the Inquisitor, Inquisitor to basically assassinate uh, Grint and Oresco right in front of everyone else in a very I, I, I brutal, brutal head, scene. Heads rolled. Heads did roll. And oh, I just, I thought every every line of Tarkin's was just so perfect. He was the guy that came in to shake things up and get results, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so well done, and, and the episode ended with um, with Kanan, you know, sacrificing himself as the rebels took out the uh, the comms or, or tried to use the comms tower, and the Empire ended up blowing it up, and uh, and then and then Kanan was captured. I, I still stand by when it comes to this episode in Tarkin that they really captured him from the book because that's the one thing I know we reviewed Tarkin recently that's the one thing about the book I liked is that character carried over into here he was brutal in the book he was brutal here mm-hmm. it, I, I thought it was an awesome bit of continuity between the series and the Clone Wars when Tarkin has that conversation with Kanan as he just, or was it with Kanan while they were blowing up the the comm tower. Yes. Yep. And it calls right back to when he was talking to Anakin at the Citadel, talking about why the Jedi don't go far enough and they're not it's hurting their war effort during the Clone Wars. And I I thought that was just a beautiful bit of a little character continuity that they built into Tarkin that they carried over the series. And but to me the the moment of the entire episode was that final the final scene, the broadcast that Ezra was doing from aboard the ghost. Because that speaks so much to what is going to come after this and the fact that there's all these disparate folks and all these oppressed folks across the galaxy and this is going to be one of the first times they're going to hear this message possibly leaking out there on the hollow net because we know it, it went beyond Lothal it went to like surrounding systems as well because that's how far that main tower could reach and it's really yeah. sort of it's Ezra stepping up and he's not only like helping the crew of the ghost, but he's also stepping into the legacy of his parents. Mm-hmm. So it's he's got these two sort of roles that he's stepping into, and it's it's. Really, I thought it was just a great scene. Yeah. Well, and it's up until this point, the show had been largely focused around Lothal. We had a couple of episodes that take place at, like the Clone Wars base, but it was really a um, a local show, so to speak. And this is the first episode where Tarkin comes in is like, okay, the Empire's taking notice of this little planet. And at the same time, our rebels are now branching out beyond this planet as well. And it, it's fitting because it, it really ups the ante for the last couple of episodes. You know, the stakes are bigger, uh, the risks, the rewards, everything is just going to get better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and boy, does it. I mean... In, in the next episode, kind of, uh, you know, teeing things up for the, the season finale in the penultimate episode, Rebel Resolve, 
um, the Imperials, uh, you know, we, we get basically get the the rebels attacking this courier to try to learn where Kanan is being held, and they have these. We find out they have these droids transporting information between facilities, and they try to break in and 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 find out what what's going on, basically. Okay, now here's a point in which we'll see how it's going to pay off going into second season because um, this is where Ezra kind of makes a snap judgment to reveal something to... I don't think we've talked about him so far in the episode. Um, what's his name? Vizago. Oh, That's right. Uh-huh. So he kind of reveals the secret to Vizago that he's a Jedi. Yes, mm. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So this is going to be interesting going forward because now Vizago's got something he's going to hold over him because Ezra said, okay, give me the information about how the Imperials are getting their message out, which, okay, droids, we saw how easily they were able to get rid of the stormtroopers around the droid and actually hijack the droid and put Chopper in his place, which also shows later how murderous Chopper is. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it's... You know, there are a lot of things we saw in this season are that, you know, they, they will lay down some hints that they know they're going to take advantage of by the end of the season. And I think we're starting to see some of, especially in these episodes, some pieces that are being laid down that will come to fruition for season two. Yep. And it's nice that they're thinking ahead that way because it makes for a more connected and a far more engaging show. Yeah. yeah. I, I do wonder what. Um, I do wonder what uh, he's going to do with that information, though, because, I mean, the market has to be fairly limited because the Empire already knows that Kanan and Ezra are Jedi. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what he's going to do with that, or if it might be the fact that they owe him the favor that's going to come in more into play. And he's going to try to cash in on that and make them do something rather nasty. Yeah, well, Vizago's kind of an interesting character in that we're... From the first episode, we kind of believe he's maybe not as... Uh, not particularly a good a good guy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we've seen hints here and there that you know that maybe there's more to that, more to his character than just that. So I wonder if uh, he'll play a more positive role later on in the series as well. Well, we do know that there is one person who has hinted he's coming back from the Clone Wars. <laughs> True. Yes, indeed. The uh, our, our our favorite pirate himself. Absolutely. Hondo Anaka. Are we going to get an episode with dueling pirates where they're sort of fighting over some turf? Oh, that'd be... I would be okay with that. You know it would be interesting? If that's the hint that Vizago has to use the Jedis to go up against uh, Hondo. Think about that one. Interesting. (laughs) I suppose we'll have to wait and find out. I know. Only speculation, people. We have no idea. Yeah. Only speculation. That does kind of bring us to the final episode, uh, which is, of course, Fire Across the Galaxy with the season finale, the rescue of Kanan. Uh, everyone goes home happy. The re- uh, reveal <laughs> of Fulcrum's identity. I mean, there's a lot that happens in this episode. It was oh, very yeah. meaty. Very, very meaty yeah, episode. I, for, and, and a very quick way to end the season. Yeah, for me, I, I have to... Fire Across the Galaxy was easily the best episode of all of them. Um, the pacing was, uh, for the most part, I feel like Rebels had really good pacing, but this episode just blew it off the charts. Mm-hmm. And the story, the action, the visuals, um, especially the space stuff at the very end, which I'm still get a little giddy about, it just all worked perfectly. 
It really did. I mean, you know, they they rescue Kanan and face off against the Inquisitor. And man, I, I mean, the first half of the episode was was very enjoyable. And we, we discussed this, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But as soon as Kanan and Ezra walk in, into that, you know, the the, uh, the engine room, I think, of the, of the ship, and you mm-hmm. see the Inquisitor there, and the fight starts, wow, 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 did it get amazing. Yep. You know, you had, um, <sighs> you had the death of the Inquisitor, which just killed me, considering how, how he's one of my favorite characters on the show. Yep. You have... Um, all sorts of things. Um, the the fantastic duel. We find out that uh, you know, we we find out the identity of Fulcrum mm. at the end, and it's none other than Ahsoka Tano. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. Well, you also have probably one of the best lines when they come into the hangar bay. All the Tie Fighters are gone. And here's Ezra and Kanan trying to figure out what they're going to do. And they look at the Inquisitor ship and it's like, well, he's not going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I have to say, that is one thing about this whole series. I'm going to some, they had some great little one-liners just sprinkled throughout. And, and, it's just, and that, was just, that was just one of the best little throwaway lines that yeah. just sticks with you. Yeah, so, I mean, Fire Across the Galaxy really was, I think, at least for me, one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, the pacing, the action, all of it just worked so well for me. But, I mean, what about you guys? Did you have another favorite episode? Was there one that tickled your fancy more? Or, like, what was really, what encapsulated Rebels for you this season? I'm going to come out with Fire, uh, I'm sorry, Rise of the Old Masters. I thought that was a really good episode. Um, I, I have to say, Empire Day was... Empire Day, what made it for me was Kanan going, yo, Empire Day. You know, thought that was kind of funny. Um, you know, but the last three episodes of the season were the ones that really, I thought, hit everything on all cylinders. You know, I, I think for being a first season, they did really well. I think better than I think most of us expected for them to come out uh, with. Pete, what are your thoughts? Well, I I, I got to agree. I think uh, that... Fire Across the Galaxy was probably my favorite episode of the season. Um, just because there was a lot of little things they did throughout the season that paid off in that episode. And there was a lot of big things that paid off in that episode. As we were talking about a few minutes ago, like that duel was one of the best duels I've seen in Star Wars. One of the probably the yeah. best animated duel we've seen. Um, and the fact that we got the big reveal on the return of Ahsoka Tano, um, one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters, um, took the episode to a whole nother level. Um, and the fact that we now have this crew, um, that's going to be hunted by Vader, we have them sort of ruining their chance to hide on the fall. It's got me super excited for where the series is going to go and hopefully to have some more corners of the galaxy unveiled and some more backstories told as they travel around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what they, where they go next. You know, they've, they've, set the seeds, so to speak, to branch out even further than they have before. And it's going to be really exciting to see what they decide to do. But okay, so if we didn't have... Okay, so it's ignoring the episodes as a whole, what was your favorite moment out of all of the, the entire season? Like that moment that was just... Even if it was in a bad episode, you're just like, that was 
fantastic. Wow. Um, there were there were some there are some really good ones. I'm trying to think of like what was the well okay favorite moment for me it has to be to hear Frank Oz do Yoda again, even though he was more as a a forced little lights, but it was still okay. That was Yoda. That was cool. Another cool moment was actually was Billy D Williams to hear that. Um, it's the nods, and I'm gonna take you know best moments overall is how I've always said, if you call attention to something, you see a payoff later and how their best moments are when they're actually making those things they've called attention to pay off. Like that TIE fighter. Everybody thought it was destroyed and ended up being called back later. Although graffitied and a stormtrooper making the comment saying, I kind of like it, but it paid off. And that's where I think when it comes to the writing and, and, and moments that just like, there was so much care into the series. That's what made it the best and really cool to see. Worst yeah. moment. Um, I mean, a little bit hard pressed for Ezra kind of hitting on Sabine a couple points, hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, it, not as bad as the George R episodes. So, um, you know, that's about the best I can say on that. Sorry to interrupt, Pete. You were going to say. Oh, no. Sorry. Um, I would say the my best moment or moments, uh, it's kind of tough to decide from the premiere and the finale. The The moment that the holocron opens up and Obi-Wan's hologram pops out was sort of one of those just sit back and, and just let it bathe over you. I really I love that moment. Um, the moment in the premiere where Kanan takes out his lightsaber, as we talked about earlier. And then in the finale, the the moment where he thinks Ezra has fallen and Kanan summons the lightsaber and then just sort of takes that pose and goes after the Inquisitor with both lightsabers. Mm-hmm. That 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 moment just really it's like, OK, it's on now. And that really got me wowed. And of course, as I just talked about a minute ago, Ahsoka coming down that ladder and that big reveal. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's tough to consider what was a bad moment um as much as i maybe maybe the wookiee animation counts as much uh, as i enjoyed the season that the really bad animation on the wookiees was kind of rough to take uh, um well it was it was in the technically first episode yeah you know, maybe it got better maybe it would have gotten better as it went along maybe that's why you never saw him come back again <laughs> it's true or maybe maybe the the character from the uh, from the Breaking Ranks episode Jai and his really bad hair that just bothered me like the Justin Bieber haircut <laughs> oh yeah now that I think about it you're right uh, some of that stuff made me cringe a little bit or in the finale the fact that there was all these Star Destroyers around but they didn't seem to be doing anything besides watching the one Tarkin Star Destroyer get blown up just, there's little things that bothered me, but I, there wasn't anything that was like super like, oh, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. I, I think one thing I want to throw out, it, it's one of those missed opportunities. I think, Stephen, we discussed it for Fire Across the Galaxy. It would have been mm-hmm. nice to have heard Tarkin say, what, evacuate? In our moment of, oh, I think you're right, let's go. <laughs> just, Just that little bit of, you know, yeah, I think in this case we're going to have to leave, but the next time it's not going to happen. 
So, would have been nice. Yeah. Uh, did, do we want to do like a Womp Rat rating on this one? I mean, do we want to be nice and not do anything? Um, well, I feel like we have to do some sort of rating. Okay. Obviously. Well, Pete, would you like to go first? <laughs> uh, sure. Um, well, um, overall, I thought the the season was it exceeded my expectations. Um, I spent a lot of time covering the series for our podcast Rebels Report this year, um, and I can honestly say I wouldn't have spent nearly as much time as I did if I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to say that I'm going to take my nine Imperial Womp Rats. I'm going to cybernetically enhance them, and then I am going to let them sneak away to the Rebels with all of our detailed plans. Mm. Okay. You, you, you're not going to be brutal to them like we normally do? <laughs> no. Uh, okay. They're, they're part, well, they did get cybernetically enhanced. That's, okay, uh, that's true. That's painful. There's a lot of yeah, implantation. Okay. There's womp rat shaving. Okay. No, it's painful enough. Steven, right, you want to do it? Oh. Ooh, okay. I'll flip I can... a coin. Wait a minute, I'll flip a coin. Okay, I'll go. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> say, I, I, I don't have a coin, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I didn't have one either. I just said, I'll go. Um... I mean, it looked like I had one. Um, you know what? I I will have to say, coming from the Clone Wars and the amount of seasons they've done with that, with the amount of how far they worked ahead for each season, they were kind of behind the eight ball on this one because they had such a quick ramp up time. But they pulled it off so well that I've got it. I'm not going to give it a nine. I'm going to give it an eight point five because. I'm surprised with the short amount of time they were able to hit the way they did and pull it off so well. Yes, you did have, you know, the little dud moments. I mean, um, what was the dud? Well, no, it didn't have the duds. But, you know, it, it was it was a great series. It was very well done for being a first season of a show that literally to be thrown thrown up against a wall and say, do it right now. They pulled it off. So I've got to give it an 8.5. And I'm going to take my 8.5 Womp Rats. Oh, wow. What am I going to do with them? You know what? I'm going to take my 8.5 Womp Rats, pack them in a suitcase, and bring them to Celebration and figure it out there. Not a bad plan. Yeah. So. All right. So I guess that means it's my turn. Yep. So I think I'm going to have to give it an 8 out of 10. And... I said because there were it's the entire season probably I feel like it in some ways it almost averaged like a seven seven and a half, mm-hmm. but the low points of the show I didn't feel like they were all that low like even the the bad episodes so to speak were still passable, and the good episodes were really really good so I think right. I'm just gonna have to give it an eight out of ten Womp Rats, um, and I don't know I'm trying to think what can my eight Womp Rats do maybe they're gonna be eight Womp Rats who were living in the uh, power generator at the bottom of the Star Destroyer who dragged <laughs> the Inquisitor's body out to rescue him for season two. There you or go. Or so I can hope. There you go. Now, unfortunately, as our listeners have probably figured out by this point, William seems to have magically disappeared. Uh, and unfortunately, he had a fire alarm go off in his apartment as we started to rec- not as we started to record, but as a couple minutes ago. Uh, so he had to disappear, and unfortunately, we need to continue without him. Right. Uh, but maybe we can tack his review on to the very end. 
Yeah, as Stephen mentioned, I uh, had a little bit of an emergency happen. Uh, this is actually coming to you a few hours later after uh, Tom and Stephen and Pete finished recording. But uh, had a little bit of an emergency. Um, thankfully, there was no fire, but it turned out there was a homicide in my building, uh, shockingly, uh, which is actually really sad. But um, I'm back now and uh, ready to give my review of my final thoughts on uh, Star Wars Rebels Season 1. Let's see. I think Star Wars Rebels was very different than the Clone Wars. You know, we uh, had a much smaller, uh, tighter story. And while it meant that we were focused on fewer locations, uh, overall, I actually think I enjoyed it more. You know, there were often times during the Clone Wars we'd asked, oh, let's have a little tighter focus or whatnot and stay with the same characters. And I really liked how we were able to do that in Rebels and follow these characters along their journey um, over the course of, you know, 13 regular episodes, a movie, and a few shorts. And so I think that, I I think, allowed for a better story overall than these small 30-minute, you know, or 22-minute installments that sometimes were pieced together in in an arc of, you know, two to four episodes. But for the most part, we're kind of standalone and, and could be watching in the order. Rebels, you really have to stay on top of things and... Um, you know, watch every episode, and I I love that. I think they did a fantastic job. Was it perfect? No, and there were times when it certainly felt more you know aimed toward younger audiences. But the Clone Wars had some of that too, and as we saw, you know, by by the end of the series, it was absolutely fantastic. And I think Rebels is on a great trajectory as well. It's in the early days, but you know, we got to see the band kind of come together. And, um, you know, and, and they, they find out who Fulcrum is. They now know what their mission is and what they're trying to do. And from now on, they can work together uh, as a rebel cell instead of just these people doing random things on their own. And so I think um, we're in a really awesome place for season two. Uh, we've talked about some of the cool setups previously uh, for next season, you know, with rumors of Hondo Anaka and, and, you know, Vader maybe facing off against Ahsoka and the Emperor and all sorts of really awesome things. So um, I, for one, cannot wait for season two uh, that's going to premiere at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim in two weeks. And I think season one was really awesome, uh, especially given the limited time and, and smaller budget. And uh, and so the, the cast and crew does should be applauded for all their efforts there. Um, I wish I could have gone through and talked about all my favorite moments, my favorite episodes. Uh, I will say favorite episode overall, probably call to action with many of the moments in fire across the galaxy as well. And then of course, uh, rise of the old masters was absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, overall star Wars rebels, really great start. I can't wait to see where they go in season two. And I'm going to give these, uh, this, these episodes as, as a whole, the, the first season, um, I think we're going to go with eight and a half Womp Rats. It's a really great start and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go from there. Um, what am I going to do with my Womp Rats? Um, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let them fall to their death with the Inquisitor actually. Um, just like in the, uh, uh, just like in Fire Across the Galaxy, because you know what? 
I'm going to miss the Inquisitor and I'm going to miss those Womp Rats. And with that, I'm going to turn it back over to uh, Tom and Steven to finish up the episode with, uh, with Pete. Pete, thanks again for joining us. Uh, definitely check out his, uh, his site rebels report and his awesome podcast as well. And, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, seeing you guys at star Wars celebration with that. Steven, why don't you, uh, take it away? Pete, thank you for joining us again. I don't know if you want to promote some of your podcasts or sites or where can people find you? We're pretty, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, the big thing I want to promote is, um, if you are going to celebration, um, Thursday, my website and podcast that I host with Andy, um, Rebels Report, is going to be on the podcast stage uh, Thursday, April say <laughs> April sixteenth from one to two p.m. And so we'd love for you to come to celebration and come join us. We're going to have some special uh, Rebels Report uh, fulcrum themed pins. We're going to be giving away buttons. Um, so if you come to the panel, we'll have those to give away, and we just are going to have a good time talking about season one of Rebels. And speculating about what's going to be happening in season two. Which, season two coming up on Ion Cannon Podcast would be the world premiere at Celebration, episode one of season two. Yeah, We'll exciting. all be there for that one. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really cool. And I'm pretty sure, Pete, you will see Stephen and I with William there when you guys are podcasting. If it's not, let's see, is it going to be... For those of you who have not gotten your app yet, go get the Celebration app because I can check it right now to make sure there's not a panel I'm going to at that time. But there, if no, there is, that's the thing is there's always a panel you should be going to. It's, oh it's, man, you should see my 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 checklist right now. <laughs> uh, other other yeah. than Wednesday night, I'm looking at my Thursday, going, okay, I gotta go to that. I gotta go to that. So uh, get the Celebration uh-huh. app. I printed out the spreadsheet and it's kind of crazy looking at it. It's like, oh yeah. man, I can have to miss all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My big thing is trying to keep up with the the exclusives by way of who's got the patches here, who's got the pin here, who's got this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, okay, how am I going to try and keep all this straight? So, great. Well, Pete, thank you again for joining. Thank us. you, Pete, and everyone mm-hmm. as usual. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away, including Rebels, the sequel trilogy, spin-off films, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncannoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in contact with us by emailing contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production of fans, by fans, and is copyright 2015.